High Faith Community Church, Wellington Campus, City Campus, Online Campus. It is so good to be able to gather with you together to worship God and listen to His Word. For those visiting us for the very first time, or maybe just the second or third time, we pray that this service will be meaningful to you, and you will find God speaking to you both personally and also powerfully. And this morning, we're going to have our communion, and somewhere in the message, we got, I'm going to lead you to do that. Following the series on revival, today we step into the first of a four-message series on discipleship convictions. I believe that discipleship is the key to steward the fruits of revival, bearing fruits that will remain. The four messages will go through the four of the 12 discipleship convictions that Pastor Benny has written in, in this book towards a disciple-making church. And today, we're going to look at the eighth conviction. Conviction. The small group is the primary vehicle for disciple-making. In Faith Community Church, our small group is called Connect Groups. And today, I would like to share with you on the three foundations of a life-changing disciple-making connect group. And I'm going to read for you from Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 47. So turn with me to your Bible. The kids' church director told me that one of the things I can do for the kids in this service today is to introduce myself. My name is Singyap. So on, in the box, uh, preacher's name, just put down my name, Singyap. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 2 from verse 40 to 47. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your presence is with us this morning, and we choose to steal our hearts to listen to your voice. As I pray that you will direct my thoughts and speak your word so that people can hear you, I know, God, that you can also bypass me and speak directly to the audience here. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and move as you will. And I pray by the end of the service, every single person from the youngest to the oldest will leave this place having a sense that they have met you and heard you personally. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, we see the preaching of the gospel brought 3,000 people into the kingdom of God in just one day. So how does discipleship 
look like when such a massive number of people got saved in such a short time? So to manage the growth structurally, they begin to meet at homes. And I think we can rightly presume that that will be in small groups. And to continue to grow spiritually, in verse 42, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Connect groups in Faith Community Church is our structure for intentional disciple-making. What we read in verse 42, the believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, they form the foundations of what we do in connect groups. So I'm going to share with you three foundations, and the first is to expound God in our content. Our content is the Word of God, what the apostles were teaching. One question many often ask is, so what did the apostles teach? We can find them in the epistles, and what you'll see is that they address many, many subject matters, and they taught the Word of God in a way that is relevant and practical to the readers so that they can translate timeless scriptural principles into timely practice in every situation. So application is important because it enables us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Jesus said that those who do his word is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and can survive and can stand whatever storms of life may come and hit them. So when we have application, we just not have the knowledge of the Word, we actually have the working knowledge of the Word. So when we study Scripture in our connect groups, we make it a point to ask application questions. So take for example, we ask, so how does this passage affect you in the way you treat the annoying classmate or the challenging colleague? We ask, for example, how does this truth affect the way you relate to your wife or your children? Many years ago, I was preparing on Saturday a message for the next day on parenting. So I woke up early in the morning and just dived into the books and just began to be really focused on preparing. And in the thick of that preparation, suddenly I heard the voice of God. It must be the voice of God because I couldn't have constructed that uh, statement or the sentence myself. I heard God say this to me, Son, I want you to stop preparing the message and start practicing it. So I say, you know, I really got jolted out of my seat. I closed all my books and I say, children, let's go for an outing. Daddy is going to take you out to spend time with you. And application is important. So when I approach the Word of God, I have these two equations. Principle minus practice or without practice is just information. It's just the knowledge of the Word of God. But principles with practices is application. We develop a working knowledge of the Word of God. So for many years, my paradigm only had the above two equations. But one particular course in the Bible school led to a paradigm shift. It was a course on expository preaching and the emphasis was being Christ-centered. The lecturer was one of the ed editors of the New Living Translation who worked 
on the book of Deuteronomy. So we just were very eager and excited to learn from him. Essentially, he taught us three things. First is when we read the scripture, we must learn to see Christ. So take, for example, in the famous story of David killing the Goliath. He threw the stone and Goliath, Goliath down, right? So in that story, many times we think about us having enough faith like David, then we can conquer the Goliaths in our lives. But he taught us that we should see David as a type of Christ who has won the victory for us. And because he has won the victory for us in Christ, we can conquer Goliaths in our lives. I thought that was really good. And the second thing he taught us was that when we teach scriptures, therefore, we must lead our audience to see Christ and Christ at work. So, for example, when Jesus appeared to the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about the death of Jesus Christ and his disappearance, the disappearance of his body from the tomb. And when Jesus was interacting with them, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. Someone said, if Jesus was preaching today, he would be preaching about himself. And then thirdly, in application of the word, which is such a critical component in exposition, we must not just teach what we ought to do, but that we must anchor our faith on the God who is able to empower us to do what He wants us to do. So for, for example, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that for God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So with those lenses, I saw that the teaching of the apostles were not just about principles and practices, what we ought to do in different situations. It was really God-centered. Another example, in the closing prayer of Jude's letter, he wrote, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So it is not about how strong or how wise that you are able to avoid tripping up. It is God who is able to keep you from stumbling. One time I was so disappointed with my repeated failures and inability to be the husband, the father, the colleague, the person that God wants me to be. And in my despondence, and disappointment, I say to God, God, whatever I do, no matter how hard I try, I will never be enough for Christ. And then you guessed it. The words of the song came to me, Christ is enough for you. Paul wrote that Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is He who has begun the good work. He will bring it to completion in your life. So the Bible school course began in me a journey of deep self-reflection of how much do I really know God? And not just that, how much do I reflect God in my pastoring, in my counseling, in my leadership, or even in the systems and the processes and the structures I create? How much 
Am I reflecting God to those around me? And what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 became an anchor verse for me. He said that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. So I added what I think is the most important constant. I think it's the cornerstone to the equation that I just mentioned. Principles plus practices equals to application. That is the working knowledge of the Word of God. But the person of God, person plus principles plus practices is transformation. It is the life-changing knowledge of the God of the Word. Selwyn Hill said, nearly every brand of religion is based on a book. With other books, you have to understand the book in order to know the author. But with the Bible, you have to know the order, author in order to understand the book. So how do we expound God in our connect groups? I suggest to you three ways. One, seek God in our study. Two, share God in our testimony. And three, show God in our interactions. Seeking God in our study means we seek to find what the Scripture is revealing to us about God. In the story of the persistent woman in Luke chapter 18, what Jesus was really wanting to teach us is that we have a God who is just and swift to act. If we place our focus on the persistent widow rather than the power of God, I think we miss the point. So God is trying to tell us that when we pray, our focus is on Him. And because He's able, because He's just, because He's almighty, we can continue to pray. Someone said, the power of prayer is not on the person praying. It's on the person hearing. So when we pray, our focus is on the power of God. And that is really liberating. Because then it doesn't depend on what I can do to make things work. I can't. And because it doesn't depend on what I can do to make things work, I think I can pray even more bold prayers. I remember one time I visited someone in the hospital and who had just had a stroke and was in coma. So when I walked in the room, I saw the two children and then the doctor came in and the doctor said that they've done all they could. So what I'm going to tell the children? So I thought I'm going to say the right thing. Uh, I'm Hokkien, so in Hokkien we have this saying, uh, it means, translated to English, it means uh, it's okay to be smart, but don't be too smart for yourself. Right? So what was the smart or right thing to do then after the doctor had said what he said? So I consoled them. I said, you know, may the peace of God be with you. That's it. I left. You know, I prayed for the children. And then a few days later, I heard that the woman woke up from coma. And then a few weeks later, she came to church. My gosh, I didn't even pray for her healing. And God healed her. I mean, God just bypassed me. It doesn't depend on me. 
It is a God who is able to anchor my faith on. And because it is a God who is able, I pray bold prayers. I pray for broken marriages to be restored. You pray for your parents who do not know the Lord to come to know Him even at an old age. You pray for your children who have gone far away from the Lord and from you, that God will save them. God will bring them back because God's hand is not too short to save. What's the point of revival if we, if we just stay with the same old, same old? The same old, same old of seeing the population of Christians declining. The same old, same old of seeing brokenness in our society getting worse. The same old, same old of, of seeing children and more children getting hurt because of broken families. But revival happens and we pray for revival. It's not that we can stay with the same old, same old. It's so that revival can cause a reversal of trend. So that Christians can go out and reach more people and more people will come to Christ. So that marriages can be restored by the power of God. We pray because we have a God who is able, not because we are able. And then we share God in our testimony. It means we let our testimony not focus on ourselves, but on God, so that we encourage people to look and to focus on God in every situation, and we don't draw attention to ourselves. And so much of what, what we understand about God, we know is more caught than taught. So what we want to do, number three, is to show God in our interactions. For many of us, we learn about and experience God through how the more mature believers relate to us. So for those of us who are more mature, who have worked with God longer, experienced His miracles and blessings, we must seek to reflect God in the way we relate to those that God has put around us. Now talking about interaction, this brings me to the second point. In fellowship and the breaking of bread, we experience God in community. And how do we experience God in community? We experience belonging. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 to 19, it says, For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. The feeling that we belong to God's family is crucial to our continual growth as a disciple and knowing God as our loving Heavenly Father. Experiencing family and belonging in the weekend service with its structure and dynamics is not easy. So the best place for that is in a small group when you find the setting more personal. The sense of belonging also allows us to experience health and growth in the Lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, He helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So how does each part does its work? What I've done is I've attached 41, one another in the Bible. That means 41 verses with one another in the Bible that you can find in FCC.life. So if you go to your mobile phone, go to FCC.life, you'll find a link. Okay? I've tested on some mobile phone. Some of your phone, uh, the link may not direct you to the document straight away. So what you need to do is you need to copy 
the link, put inside your WhatsApp, share uh, with a WhatsApp, and then you, you click it, and it will lead you to the document. And these are verses that tell us how we ought to interact with one another so that people can experience God. Now, we often hear the theory that people's view of God, the Heavenly Father, is colored by the lenses of the experience of their own earthly father. We hear many sermons using the same illustration of how a boy was told that God is like your father and his response was, if God is like my father, I don't want God. My parents were divorced when I was studying in primary school, so after that, I pretty, grew up, uh, pretty much grew up without a consistent presence of a father. And at one point, we completely lost touch. And up to today, I can still remember the pain, but I don't feel the pain. I can still remember the pain I went through those, in those formative years. One day, a Christian leader was processing with me about growing up without the presence of a father. And what hit me was not the absence of my father, but the overwhelming presence of my connect group. And I could just feel their love and rather the pain of not having a father. And I realized then that my connect group was helping me to feel I belong to a family, which is the role of parents. Parents do that, help their children feel belonging to a family. My connect group helped me to experience God as my healer. All my pains, I can't feel it. They were all erased. And then another thing that really impacted me was a leader who believed in me. I think those of us who are younger, maybe not us, those of you who are younger, And as you grow up, you know how important it is for a parent to come alongside you, walk with you through highs and lows, celebrate success with you, lift you up when you are discouraged, tell you that they believe in you. I didn't have that. But one of my leaders did that for me. You see, I'm, I'm tone deaf a little bit. And I can't maintain timing in my clapping. After I clap for 30 seconds, you know, the timing will go haywire. And when I was in primary school, I entered a singing competition. So I practiced very hard. When I came to the stage, stood in front of the microphone, I forgot all the lyrics. So music, stage, they are not my thing. When I was growing up as a young leader in church, one day this mentor of mine came and when he saw me, he looked me into the eyes and said, I want you to be a worship leader. Now, he was a leader that we all respect. So we take what he says seriously. But when he said that to me, I literally laughed. I laughed and said, <laughs> and I just dismissed it. And then when he saw me the next time, he said it again. I want you to be a worship leader. And I said, oh, okay. And then for the next few times, every time he saw me, he would say that, I want you to be a worship leader. And then one morning, I woke up and I said, I'm going to be a worship leader. 
And I led worship in my cell group and then my church for about three years plus. But music is not my calling. Worship is not the thing for me. I think what God did for me was to provide that opportunity to prepare me for ministry. But because my mentor believed in me, I felt the love of the Heavenly Father. So just a disclaimer, this story is not a passport for us to go to worship audition and demand Pastor Dave to use us regardless of how we fare. <laughs> but if Pastor Dave comes to tell you to do it, then there's another story. <laughs> On the same note, if a leader comes to tell you and say, I believe in you, you can do that, don't laugh. Don't dismiss it. Just go back and pray and let the Lord speak to you. Jesus said, I will build my church, the spiritual community, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The church is the spiritual community, the household of God, the institution that God has established for all to come to know Him. So God guards His church and we must take it seriously. The communion has been given to us to remind us that we are part of this spiritual family and the part that we play. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 to 17, we read, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation? And in KJV, he uses the word communion, in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation, participation or communion in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 29, Paul wrote, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received, and then he, 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 he said what many ministers would quote when they lead communion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in, in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, Everyone therefore ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those 
who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Often, we will hear someone leading communion quoting verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves and emphasizing that we need to self-reflect if there are any sins in our lives before we approach the table of communion. Now, that is not wrong, but we must bear in mind that we are only made worthy and righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. We in ourselves can never make ourselves worthy enough to approach the table. That's why some people also call communion the table of mercy. But specifically in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was addressing division and discrimination. So if we interpret within the context, we ask ourselves, what are we supposed to examine? I think what Paul is saying is that we must examine how our behavior, what we say and do are affecting our brothers and sisters in this spiritual community. Communion reminds us not just that we are a part of this family, but also our part in this family. So what is our part? Our part is to build up and not tear down, to unite and not divide, to contribute and not consume. We are to exhort to leave others, not extort to leave ourselves. We spur one another, not spear one another. We prefer others, not presume on others. The way Pastor Benny teaches is how not to presume on others is that if you are a member of the church and you know another member of the church has opened a restaurant, you don't go to the restaurant and demand for a discount. <laughs> and if you open a restaurant, you don't demand people or members of the church to go to your restaurant just because you attend the same church. But when I thought of this, I thought of uh, a, a member of the church, I think that was about four years ago, he entered into a partnership with another person for a restaurant business, and at the time, it was really struggling. But when he went there, he worked hard, uh, word got around, and we, you know, people, on this, people in this church started to go to the restaurant, and more people went. And then more people went, and the restaurant did so well, it turned around, went into black, and they even had to employ staff. It was really good. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask us to go. We, we, we just went, and I went there many, many times. Uh, they tell me the, the food is not too bad. Uh, the, the, the price is uh, value for money. But right now, if you ask me whether I remember how good the food is, I don't. I just remember how good he is. Because every time we go there, he would just, uh, you know, just look after us so well. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is this. All right, you just serve, and whatever door that God has opened for you, He will bless you. We prefer others. So because there's one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So right now, I want to lead us into a time of communion. So I want you to take your communion elements. And we've the understanding of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in your mind. 
as you partake of the bread. I know we use wafer. The church I grew up in, we really took from one bread. We shared from one bread. As you partake this, I just want you to reflect. Reflect on you being a part of this family. And not just that, reflect on your part in this family. I repeat the words of the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's the body of Christ, as it belongs to Jesus. It's also the body of Christ as a spiritual family. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread and the cup together. So as we partake the communion, we remember Christ. And may we also remember to represent Christ to one another. Spiritual community is crucial for our discipleship. And I want to take this time to honor all the connect group leaders, the core teams, the point persons, the zone supervisors, the district supervisors, for all the work you have put in to make sure that we have a vibrant spiritual community of connect groups that people can go to and experience God. I also want to thank every connect group member who have supported your connect group leader. You have been there for them. And as a leader, I think one of the most mem memorable and enriching time for me in my leadership was when I was a connect group leader. I felt the support of my assistant leaders, my connect group members, and we did live together. It was really good. So I just want to take this time to honor all the leaders and also everyone who is in a connect group. Third, we exhort God in consecration, and that is about prayer, devoting ourselves to prayer. Devotion to prayer is an act of consecration. A consecrated life is one that exalts God, therefore seeks His presence pursues his purpose and walks according to his plan. Living a consecrated life means you do not let the pressure of worldly masters direct you, but you let the presence of God do so. It means you do not let the price that the world holds so high to be your focus, but you pursue the purposes of God. It means you do not let the pains of the past determine how you live your future, you live according to the plans of God. It means you do not conform to the world, but you are consecrated to the Lord. Consecration is to make room to do whatever God wants us to do. And it starts with making room, making time to be in the presence of God, to listen to what He wants me to do, to listen to what He has to say. In the story of Jesus visiting the home of Mary and Martha, Martha, the Bible tells us, was distracted by the preparation to host Jesus, and Mary sat with Jesus. And Jesus said that 
Mary had chosen the one thing that will not leave her. And when I read the verse, obviously, when you read it, you ask, so what is that one thing? And the one thing for me, as I read the story, was simply Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. But I don't know why, it's just escaped to me that it wasn't just sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 39, it says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. What we don't know is, what did Jesus specifically tell Mary? And I think the reason we don't know is because that's not important. So I don't know what God is telling you today, or what God wants to tell you today. All I know from this story is the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus, being in the presence of God to listen to Him. And that is going to change our lives because when we hear the Word of God, we also hear what He wants us to do, His assignment for us. I tell you a true story. A pastor was doing a Bible school course that he was very familiar with, so he was very confident that he's going to do well. And because he was so confident that he's going to do well, he didn't attend the lectures. When the time came for him to submit his assignment, he worked very hard, spent a lot of time, did his best, and handed up his work. A few days later, he got back his paper, and this was what he read in the comments. Research, excellent. Content, excellent. Structure, excellent. Application, excellent. Great. F. Reason. Wrong assignment. <laughs> I think there are some of us here, our assignment that we feel we have on God requires a version update. I learned in my life that as I walk through the different seasons and stations, God's assignment for me does change. And if I don't spend enough time in His presence to listen to His Word, what I'll be doing is I'll be living on yesterday's assignment. And that's why we need to spend the time to have that discipline to sit at the feet of Jesus to hear Him. In the Revival Nights for the last three Fridays, as much as it was a time of corporate prayer, God has been speaking and ministering to us individually. And that's why we're going to have another Revival Friday night uh, this Friday. And I really want to encourage you to come. It is our posture of saying, God, I come before you. Like Mary, sitting at your feet, listening to you, praying, and also listening to you. Consecration is about making room for God and making Him the center. So what are the three foundations 
for a life-changing disciple-making connect group. Number one, we expound God in content, which is the Word of God, so that we know the God of the Word. Number two, we experience God in community as we express Christ to one another. And number three, we exhort God in consecration to let His presence feel and flow through our lives to change our world. If God has been speaking to you, maybe not just today, but for a period of time about consecration, or you know that He's speaking to you right now about seeking His presence, putting Him in the center of your life, and you, you desire to make room for Him, to hear Him, to do whatever He says. Later, as we worship, I invite you to come to the front as we open the altar to take a step in response to what God is saying to you. Let me just pray. God, I just thank you that you are a God who continually speaks to us. And this morning, we choose to come before you, to sit in your presence, to listen to you. Lord, we seek to live a consecrated life, a life set apart for you, to do what you want us to do. And to do that, God, to do what you want us to do, we need to hear. We need to hear you. We need to hear instructions. So this morning, we choose to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen.